You promise your child they can be anything they choose. They promise to follow their dreams. Our promise is to help you save for college today and every day worry-free. YouPromise.com lets you save extra money for college by doing the everyday things you already do. Link any college savings plan with a free YouPromise account and watch your child's dreams become their future. Sign up today at YouPromise.com for a $30 welcome bonus. Start now at YouPromise.com. Cox can help make your home smarter and your life easier. Now you can use your Contour voice remote to connect to your home life cameras so you can view them right on your TV screen using simple voice commands. That makes it easy to keep tabs on what's happening around your home right from your couch. Need to keep an eye on the kids when they're playing outside? Just say, show me my backyard camera into your Cox voice remote and watch them while you're in the house. And if you're waiting for a delivery and want to make sure it's there on time, no problem. Just say, show me driveway camera to check on it with your Home Life HD cameras on the TV screen while you go about your day. When you live in a home powered by Cox Internet, you can stay connected to what matters and let Cox take care of the rest. To learn more about all the benefits of your connected home, visit cox.com slash thisishome today. Hey there, boys and girls. Welcome to another edition of the Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt, special edition. My good friend, such a such a sage voice on all things NFL, especially Philadelphia Eagles, Joe Banner. Joe joins me, a repeat customer on the Business of Sports so many times, but special insights right now. Everybody's talking about the Eagles, Carson Wentz, what do they do? Jalen Hurts, do they cut him? Do they trade him? I've been saying they can't because of the massive cap impact. Joe managed that team for 18 years as president, also president of the Cleveland Browns, now consulting for teams, for leagues, for stadium, for coaching searches with agents. He's done a lot. He's still doing a lot. Joe Banner is my guest this week on the Business of Sports podcast. And without further ado, here's Joe. I always like bringing my friend Joe on. Joe Banner is... um, you know, someone I respected since I started in the business. Well, I, since I started in the team business, but even as an agent, the way to manage a cap, the way to manage contracts, the way to manage a franchise, and no better time to have him on than now with everything going on in his former team. Uh, we're going to talk about that, and we'll talk about everything else. But you know Joe Banner, repeat guest on the podcast. How are you, my friend? I'm doing well. I'm it- as you pointed out, I'm glad I'm retired instead of having to be in Philadelphia or figuring all this out right now. <laughs> yeah, you and I, before we came on air, was talking a lot about the, the COVID. And uh, I think I'll start there before we get to the Wentz situation, which a lot of people are asking me about, asking you about. We can debate. Uh, I'll just sort of open it up. Do you Are you surprised we're here in week 16 that we've made it? Uh, that we made it, A, made it, and B, made it without a postponed week 18. And uh, just one thing I'll add is I just thought that Ravens game was such an inflection point. If they're not going to move a game with 23 positives and nine straight days of COVID tests, they're not going to move a game, in my opinion. What's your thought? Yeah, I mean, first of all, I agree with your last point. And I am. I'm, I'm shocked. I really am. Uh, you know, saw what happened at the beginning of baseball, just watching what's happening out in society. Um, you know, I think they've done a lot of things right. And frankly, they probably got a little bit lucky. And they've gotten uh, the players to kind of appreciate the importance, I think, and, and uh, you know, restrict their behavior versus what it would normally be. And, you know, probably like everybody who loves football and living through challenging times and being stuck in our homes a lot, I'm, I'm so happy that they have. <laughs> It gives us something to do that's fun and interesting and, frankly, occupies our time and our minds even beyond the games themselves. So, thankfully, I am surprised but glad we're here. And it's right in our wheelhouse, too, because it's this it's this dichotomy between optimal health and business, right? I mean, put yourself in the league exec, team exec, your former roles, like – you know, I was asking this question over the summer, but I was questioning myself for asking it. I'm like, are we really doing this? Are we really doing this? But then I realized we're not going to shut down a $15 billion business. So there's got to be a lot of conflicting thoughts in your head about all this. Yeah. I mean, you know, with hindsight now, I feel like, isn't that um, great that they did and it's worked because, you know, <laughs> yeah, 
you know, there's a lot of business out there that are out and operating and, you know, pretty successfully. And you look at the stock markets, some are doing better than they were, you know, before. Um, But there were a lot of reasons for the league to uh, try and, you know, not give up at the first sight of some problems or what looked like it could have been an expanding uh, problem. Um, And again, you know, I, I was of the mindset, let's give it a shot, but I certainly thought we wouldn't be at it very long. Uh, they gave it a shot and kept kind of pushing problems forward. And, you know, here we are with just two weeks to go, and they still have a week they could move things into if something suddenly cropped up. But, you know, we see it here today, and things are still in good shape. So credit to them, I guess. I've said that if I was a team exec or league exec, what would worry me most is, is negative outcomes. We've seen most of these guys come back healthy, but you know, you, you saw Miles Garrett have some comments this week and Von Miller back before. And there's a couple guys, a kid on Jacksonville that's out for the year. And Trent Brown was out for a month and A.J. Dillon for six weeks. I, I guess I don't want to be too uh, dramatic. That would scare me. I'm not sure what I would do about it, but that would really scare me. Yeah, listen, I unfortunately have two cousins in their 30s, completely healthy. Before all this, they got very sick, fortunately mm. they survived, but they both have significant long-term problems. I mean, I was called, I'm sure you were before the season by a few agents and they asked me, you know, what they should tell their players. And I, I actually told them I thought they should opt out. And for this reason, I didn't think there was much likelihood that their life was going to end over it. But I thought, you know, these professional athletes, the difference between a professional athlete and somebody who's just below that is very, very small. You end up with a limited or lowered health uh, of your lungs that could easily just put you from being good enough to be a pro athlete to be just slightly less. So I felt like people were risking their careers yeah, as opposed to just their short-term health or some income from this year. And a few of those players did opt out, but frankly, most of them played. And I'm probably at this point, um, you know, enjoyed the season, made some money and uh, got the chance to compete, which is, you know, what they thrive on. What do you think cap-wise? I mean, we hear reports can't go lower than 175 next year, which would be about a $23 million drop from this year. You know, I've heard things about borrowing from the future, which you know a lot about in terms of cap and not going so low next year, and maybe even doing what the NBA did and keeping it flat from last year. I mean, I, I always talk about the bloodletting in February and March of these veterans. It just seems like it's going to be worse than ever this year going forward. Yeah, well, I think that's true, by the way. But I actually am also in the school that I don't think it's going to go down that much. Uh, I'm really relying on the fact that there were some revenues this year that they didn't expect. They made it through the season, so they'll get their playoff revenues and Thursday night revenues and all those kinds of things. Um, And I think we may be underestimating, assuming by next fall things are fine, that, you know, we really have three teams playing in new stadiums. We have some potential new TV deals. We will have new streaming deals, which is really add-on revenue. It's not going to result in a decrease in the TV deals. So it's hard to guess what the number will be. But I think the teams that are in uh, you know, deficit positions at the moment, even 5 or 10 or $15 million difference, if it was 185, it would make a lot of difference to a number of teams right now. I think a number like that is well within the possibility. But, I, but we are going to see even more of those cuts that, you often talk about in, in February and March as we lead into the new league year. We're going to see even more of those than we've seen in the past. There's no doubt about that, no matter what the number is. Okay. <laughs> One of those teams that is in, in looking not looking good for 2021 is the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, your president for how many years was it, Joe? Almost 18. 18 years. Yeah. Uh, obviously, you have a lot of warm thoughts in your heart and head about that team as I do the Packers for my only 10 years there. Um, Before we get to Wentz, and I know it's all related, but they're sitting way over that number. Um, And I think this sort of leads to Wentz because it just seems like when you were there, uh, this is not a criticism of what's going on there now management wise, but it always see you, you kind of taught me about a cap strategy, which I would, kind of label matching cash and cap as much as possible, uh, front-loading cap in, in, the, in the most you can, where you get ahead of the curve and you allow yourself flexibility if things go sour with the player. Um, it seemed like the Eagles were that team for a long time, but lately there have been a lot of veteran extensions. There have been a lot of pushed-out money. 
proration restructures, and of course, the Wentz deal is structured with heavy leverage, uh, which is now a big problem. Did you sort of see that happening and, and wondered what was going on, why the sort of cash and cap matching was no longer a priority there? Yeah, I did. And in fact, still have relationships there and I had even a chance to talk to some of the people there. And, and you're right. They've held on to the strategy of signing players early, trying right. to identify key core players and getting them done early. I mean, our attitude was good players' prices never go down. And we did always try to keep cash and cap matched. That actually came from an interesting philosophy was the cap is going up each year. If we can stay flat on these contracts, that means we have new money every year, extra money to spend. With most of the teams in the league are actually using that increase in the cap just to, you know, handle the increase in the existing right. contracts they have. So we thought that created an advantage. But they did start front loading deals in terms of low cap numbers that became higher, which of course increases the risk of when you're wrong. Um, and they uh, did start to borrow from the future, which we didn't uh, do previously. So they held on to some of the key elements and they they made some changes. And the risk of what they did is. I don't care who you are, you're making some mistakes. You, you can go to the Hall of Fame, you're making some mistakes. So part of the old strategy was, if we make mistakes, let's make sure they don't hurt us too badly. Because we know we're making mistakes, we just don't know which ones they are until later. Right. Let's minimize the consequence. And, and by borrowing from the future and structuring contracts with lower cap numbers early and higher cap numbers late, exposes you to significant consequences you were wrong. Remember, they actually really went through this already with Alshon Jeffries. I don't think there's any chance he would have been on the team this year had it not been for the way the contract was originally set up and then was restructured to create cap dollars. And, you know, we, we do see that again with Wentz. Whatever the outcome of that is, there's no doubt that that structure is what's created, you know, this problem. And they they didn't uh, randomly do this. They thought about it. And then at time was a real sense of urgency about winning a Super Bowl because they've been closed so many times. They were very frustrated. So there was some long-term sacrifice for short-term gain. And, you know, sometimes when that happens, you got to go back and pay the price. That's, what's, that's what we're looking at. All hindsight here, but your decision to go all in on Wentz after three seasons, that's, for people who don't know, that's the minimum allowment uh, to restructure a deal now. I know back in the day, you and me would go with guys after one or two years, but now you have to wait three. Um, I sort of researched it. Obviously, they did for golf as well, and Mahomes and Watson. As soon as you could do it, three years, they restructured. They they gave the magas massive extension. Trubisky, they've waited. You know, now he's finishing his fourth year. Of course, Prescott with the one year franchise tag. Um, I look back at Carson. I'm sorry, uh, Cam Newton and Andrew Luck. They both waited till after the fourth year, not the third year. Uh, again, hindsight 2020, but did you feel like that was an all-in deal that was valid for Wentz after three seasons, even though the two of those seasons he didn't finish because of late-season injury? Yeah, you know, listen, I just want to be fair to them. Had I been in the same seat, I would have done that deal. Yeah. I would, I, as we already just discussed, I would have structured it differently so that the, the risks weren't quite as great, but I would have absolutely done that deal, and frankly, when they did it, um, I actually thought both sides were smart. The agent, in light of the injuries, I thought made a good decision to take the deal, which didn't necessarily maximize his value had he waited longer or come off a healthy season. But in light of the facts, I thought he was smart to take the deal. And I thought the uh, Eagles locked in a player that was a top-tier player for many years. If you looked at the average of the deal as opposed to the cash flow and structure, I thought on pretty favorable terms. And we've seen that. I mean, the, you know, the, the Sean Watsons of the world are getting more than 20% higher than Wentz was on the average of the deal. Um, so I, I would have, I guess I have to say at the moment, made the same mistake. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sitting in that seat to just be very honest about it. Okay, now to the mistake. <laughs> we'll talk about what's next and all the financial, which is our world. But you're more attuned to the player side than I am in terms of personnel. What happened? <laughs> your opinion what happened I, as you know uh, knowing me well i rarely say i don't know <laughs> yeah. i mean i cannot think of i well i did come up with one but i really can't think of an example where an athlete that was achieved this level of eliteness and then went backwards and regressed to this extent the analogy i came up with which i'm not even sure is very good if the, the, the female fighter ronda Roney Ronda Rousey. Yeah. yeah, Rousey. I mean, she was just destroying people. I mean, she looked like she could beat the hell out of anybody, anytime. 
she went and lost one fight and she was never the same. I mean, she lost a few more fights and then retired. It just, it broke something. It broke something in her that was, you know, treating the world as if she was indestructible. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I'm totally guessing. I mean, it really is hard to uh, see, especially now that Hertz has come in and things look as different as they do. Yeah. Um, and the harder question is, is it, re, is it redeemable? I mean, right. can, can he get back to where he was or is this, you know, the new reality? Um, I mean, obviously, the weapons they surrounded him with were not adequate. The offensive line is decimated by injuries. I don't think the head coach, uh, who's also the play caller, gave him the best uh, options to overcome the challenges he was facing. But you can still believe all of that and recognize he was playing really poorly. And no matter what they were doing, he was going to be struggling because of the way he was playing. And he has to be better or none of the other things we just mentioned uh, matter. So. I can give you a couple of theories and guesses, but to me, it's kind of a bewildering situation that I don't think we've seen in the NFL ever. So here we are. They go all in, as we've talked about. You would have done the same. I probably would have done the same. Um, he structured the contract in ways that weren't optimal for the future. But if you're going to say one player, you don't worry about the future at that point. It's probably Carson Wentz. He's whatever he is, 25, 26, and he looks great. Um now he's regressed deeply. Mm-hmm. They've got a revelation at backup quarterback, now starting quarterback. Obviously, two games, who knows, but looks like, wow, you know, poised leader, all those things. So, what do they do? Uh, I've outlined this extensively in articles on Twitter. You know, 34 million if they trade him comes, accelerates on the cap. Obviously, release 60 million, that's not going to happen. Um, you have said no contracts untradeable. I agree with that. But the consequences, Joe, <laughs> let's even forget about whether a team wants them or, you know, take on that contract. $34 million for a player that's not on your roster. I know they've been in the 20 range for a few guys, but the, it just seems outrageous to the point where – I don't think Howie Roseman would do that. Now, you never know, but it's not $10 million, It's not $20 million, It's $34 million. Your thoughts? Yeah, so first of all, um, I'm going to separate what's possible from what I would predict would happen. Okay. So I think it's highly unlikely that they move him, uh, although bringing a quarterback back who is uh, – unhappy is not something we see. <laughs> so, you know, that, that creates a dynamic. They're going to have to think through and have some discussions and meetings probably with the player and the agent that internally to see if they're actually comfortable even with that being an option. Um, so, and I do believe that uh, it's, it's not unreasonable to think you could get him back to where he was. So if I'm running the Eagles, I'm keeping him, but let's just say for a second, they come to a different conclusion. They feel really good about Hertz. They want to give him a clean head and a clear shot at the job and every rep when they get to training camp. Um, And then, you know, what could happen? And that's probably where we diverge a bit. Um, I don't think there's any way they do what you just mentioned. As you said, they wouldn't. They're not cutting him now. None of those things are happening. They're off the table. I mean, they'd be off the table under any circumstances, but they have a tight cap situation. The cap is probably going to go down some amount. Forget about it. The scenario that I do think is possible is the, you know, after June 1st trade possibility. And uh, a lot of times teams have to just look at, okay, I can't go to the dealer and say, give me a different hand. I have to take the hand I have and figure out what's the best way to play it. So right now he's about $65 million on their cap over the next two years. And they have obligations that not literally, but effectively are about $80 million in guarantees currently and going forward. So that's the situation they're in. They also have them on their cap for about $125 million over the next four years. So if they wait till after June 1st and they've paid the roster bonus in this scenario, 10 million, $10 million, which is due in March, they've paid, by the way, also the 2022 salaries become mostly guaranteed also. Right. So if they trade them after that time frame. The cap charge they have in the 2021 season goes down to $19 million. So here they are in a position where they are struggling to find enough cap room for 2021. So they gain the advantage 
of creating cap room in the scenario in 2019 that they desperately, and sorry, in 2021 that they desperately need. They also get out of all of the guarantee that has now been created in 2022. And they get, which is only on paper, the $125 million that they have on their cap over the next four years. The last two of which is not guaranteed, and you and I both know what that means, but at least at this moment, uh, it's on the table. So for me, and, and it's actually a pretty good contract for an acquiring team if they also believe they can get him back even close to what he was. I mean, uh, Teddy Bridgewater got a $22 million per year contract. And scenario I just gave, Wentz would average about $22 million per year over the next two years. Virtually fully guaranteed. So you've got to be comfortable. I'm going to fix this guy because yeah. I'm going to owe him like $45 million bucks. So for me, if the Eagles actually made the decision, Hurts is our guy, we want to bring him into camp, clear his head, focus on him, give him every rep. We don't want distractions. We don't want to be answering questions about this all year. And maybe they don't believe that Wentz can be fixed. Then a post-June 1 trade is significantly better than keeping him. Remember, keeping him means he's on the bench. And, yes, it's $34 million bucks. Uh, but in either case, he's of no value to you. He's either sitting on the bench or you're trading him and you're reducing these obligations. So obviously $19 million this year for a player that's not on your team, and then almost $25 million next year for a player that's not on your team is horrible. <laughs> it's, just, it's an unimaginable situation. But considering the fact that he's $65 million on the cap over the next two years with up to $80 million potentially guaranteed, it presents a situation in which they've actually improved the hand they were dealt, which they can't they can't wind that clock back significantly from the position they're in right now. So obviously, any one of us who's ever done the cap, the idea of taking a $45 million hit over even two years in my scenario was just unthinkable. But if the alternative is $65 million in cap charges over the next two years and possibly $80 million in guarantees, well, then you have to say, listen, I screwed up. I can't rewind the clock. What I have to do now is figure out what's the best thing going forward. So, again, I'm not predicting this happens, but I am, I am clear in my mind that they could pursue that scenario, which is also a terrible outcome, but better than doing nothing. And therefore, I at least think it's possible that that could happen. Okay. Let me pull the thread on the June 1, because obviously we have these different off-seasons now, COVID or no COVID. There's not a lot going on. Uh, before July, but but do the Eagles really want to hold him in purgatory for six months? So yeah. and does a new team really want to wait? I mean, they could do wink, wink, send them the playbook. I guess I don't know. Right. It just seems so odd for a quarterback. Yeah, and absolutely correct and not ideal. But I mean, you 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 would say to the player and you'd say to his agent, listen. Let's work together to get this done because you're not happy here. You've made it clear you don't want to come back under these circumstances, and we're fine with that, but let's just try to make it work for both of us. So you kind of calm him down. The thing with Wentz to remember as you ask the offseason question is here's a player who, first of all, he's drafted in April. So waiting till June is really only like another six or seven weeks. Remember something about Wentz, which to me is one of the more remarkable things I've ever seen in football, especially considering where we sit today. He missed the entire training camp of his rookie year and started the first game and already looked good. I mean, you and I would have thought that's impossible. Almost any coach yeah. would have thought that's impossible. So we are talking about somebody who, you know, that, that was end of August before he's really engaged in practice. And he started game one and played well. So June is absolutely not ideal. And any team acquiring is going to be incredibly frustrated that they've got to just kind of sit there or, as you say, wink and send them the playbook at least and probably get a coach on the phone with them periodically. But let's assume everybody's playing by the rules. They do have June, July, and August, which is three full months and probably a five- to six-week training camp to get him ready, which is actually considerably more than he had when he was in his rookie year. And I'm just dealing in, in rumored teams – if you look at teams like, you know, Indianapolis is one of the teams people are speculating. He's played for that coach. He knows that coach's system. If you look at a team like New England, I'm just rattling off teams that will need a quarterback. I mean, if anybody's capable of teaching somebody quickly and getting them engaged, you know, by, through the process and the smartness and the quality of their coaching, that would be New England. Look at San Francisco. I mean, Kyle Shanahan took a team to the Super Bowl um, with – you know, Ryan, who I think is a good, solid quarterback, but not a top, top tier quarterback. And 
you know, he's got an offense that's playing reasonably well now, really, with a third-string quarterback. Um, so the, you're pointing out things that are absolutely negatives and will absolutely be concerns and may keep this from happening. But I don't think there are things that you just look at and go, okay, take this off the table. I mean, if I'm one of the teams I just mentioned, I mean, I'd add like the Broncos to that list. I'm sitting there saying, you know what? I have to analyze this. I have to look at this. Because if I take this contract on, it's actually not a bad contract, assuming we can rehabilitate the player. Yeah. The question here is, am I willing to wait? And are the Eagles in a position where they've decided they want to move on so we can see if we can come up with something that works for both of us? We've got a couple of things going on here. I think the obvious point, which is too obvious even for us to say, if Wentz had no dead money, this wouldn't be a discussion, right? <laughs> He'd be traded for whatever they could get. Um, and then, of course, the hurts, the hurts situation. Like the Eagles are in some ways coming out of this like, well, all of a sudden they have an option. You know, it's one thing for Wentz to regress. It's another thing to have an option. Like, yeah. and all of a sudden, the the Hertz pick becomes this massively uh, shrewd <laughs> investment, where so much criticism. Like, what are you doing? And I certainly know about the Packers, where you know, what are you you're not taking a weapon? You're taking a backup quarterback. And I mean, again, limited sample size, but what a player these past couple of weeks. Yeah, this is, you're absolutely right. We would not be having this conversation. They would be not having this conversation no matter how bad he played this year. Yeah. Um, if they didn't pick him and, you know, actually get a chance to see him on the field. And, you know, we've all seen guys start strong and end up bad. We've seen guys start bad and end up great. But you'd certainly prefer to have a guy come out of the box and really look like he can play. And that's that's what we've seen over over two weeks. And that's none of these scenarios. I mean, talking about 40, 40 plus million dollar write-off, you and I have heart failure over that if we were sitting in a front office. You wouldn't be even having a discussion unless you'd reached the point where you really didn't feel like he could come back and you really did feel like you already had the solution in the building. I mean, this is a quarterback. You know, we've seen teams. Dallas Cowboys went a decade after Troy Aikman retired before they found the right replacement. There are teams that have gone longer than that. Yeah. You're not letting somebody like Wentz go and looking at these kind of charges – Unless you're just 100% uh, convinced that you have an alternative and that you no longer have the confidence you did in him being the guy. This is not even a one-second conversation, no matter how he played this year, in any other case. Well, let's talk about another conversation. You know all the parties involved very well. I do, too. You know them better than I do. Has at some point, has it happened, will it happen, is it happening, where Jeff Lurie says to Doug Peterson, can you fix him? Right? Mm. Like, to me, that's, I mean, the the Hertz thing obviously puts this thing in a little bit of different spin, but that's the only question here. Like, uh, Doug Peterson, can you fix him? And all the people around Doug Peterson, like, that's that it. would be the question, right? No, that's where you start. And it, and frankly, the answer to that question should inform everything afterwards. Yeah. Because if the answer is yes, we're not sitting here looking at a $45 million write-off. You know, we're not, you know, disrupting. Listen, I mean, despite some of the media coverage at the moment, Wentz has a lot of support in that organization and with his teammates. Now, not saying Jalen Hurts doesn't have it also. Yeah. But the notion that, like, you know, listen, Wentz is a strong-willed guy, um, more so than most even in the NFL. There's a lot of those. Um, but he was a very respected guy within that locker room, and he's perceived to be a very good guy willing to give whatever it takes to win. So we, we don't even have this conversation. Now, remember something. You've been in the building where you face these kinds of decisions. They thought through before they put Hurts in the line. But listen, Wentz may be really mad. Yeah, of course. He may want to get out of here at the end of the year. Once we bench him, we may not be able to put him back in the game. We may be – you know, putting the final nail in the coffin. They thought all that through. This is not like some. Now, I suspect Hertz is playing better than they even imagined or hoped for. But other than that, they talked through all the possible reactions to making this move. And they decided, which makes me think there was maybe some contribution from the coaches that they were at least unsure, if not doubting, that they could fix him. Because everybody who was part of that decision or even part of that discussion knew 
we may be ending our relationship with Carson the minute we bench him because we're not bringing back some quarterback disgruntled doesn't want to be here. They at least knew that was a possibility. I'm not saying they would predict it would happen, but they knew it was within the realm of possibility. So they probably already had the discussion that you just referenced on, do we think we can um, you know, bring him back to where he was? And I think that we can say the answer wasn't an absolute uh, unqualified yes, or we would be hearing a different conversation right now. And they probably wouldn't have benched him because you know, you're, you're at a point in that case where you're trying to build his confidence as opposed to do anything that could knock it down further. But people that don't think they thought through exactly what may happen if they made this move just don't understand the way front offices work. They understood completely that he may react this way. Well, and yeah, and, and why is it a big story on Sunday or whenever when he's unhappy? I mean, yeah, what, but, what player's happy about being benched? I, I'm, I'm totally with you. I don't even understand you know, the reaction. First of all, I mean, we're dealing with a media report that is not quoting the player. Right. So if he's got friends that he expressed like, geez, I'm really frustrated, and I know I'm a starting quarterback in this league, if it's not going to be here, I'd like to go someplace else, what else would he say? That's crazy. That's exactly the right thing to say. Even if he said it to his agent, and for whatever reason, somebody he probably wouldn't necessarily pass it on to the media did. But what else is he going to say? Listen, his view of the world, I'm sure, is – um, some version of, boy, they brought back Deshaun Jackson, also in Jeffries. Those are supposed to be key wide receivers. They've been hurt three of the last four years, both of them. They brought back an offensive line that was pretty old and therefore vulnerable to injury and didn't have adequate backups. And I don't really think the coach was calling the best plays for me. He's, if he's who we think he is, he's accepting some responsibility, but he's not accepting all the responsibility. And now he feels like I kind of got scapegoated here, and it looks like the whole thing was my fault. I can't think of anybody I know who's even slightly competitive that wouldn't be very uh, uncomfortable, if not outraged, by being put in that position. And the complicating factor we keep coming back to is Hertz looks like the real deal. (laughs) You know, if Hertz went in there and was whatever, then it's like, oh, well, back to Wentz next year. Yeah, I mean, there's no easy answers, there's no easy outcomes. I've taken more of a hard line than you about, I understand it's not ideal, but having him there as a backup is better than dealing with, however, 34 next year, 44 over two for someone who's not there in this restricted cap. But, I mean, we'll see. I just think, like you said, these discussions have to be going on and we get to March, and I mean, they got to know, right? They got to know in March, like on, on June 3rd, we're trading him to X, or we're going forward, or Jalen's one year two, or open competition. This is not something that can linger. Uh, absolutely. I mean, they, they'll know what they want to do probably before the end of January. Yeah. And they'll absolutely know what they're going to do or what their options are to do no later than the middle of March, just because that's the beginning of the new league year. Uh, And listen, watch if they sign a backup quarterback, if they draft a quarterback in the fifth round, (laughs) they can say what they want and pretend nothing's going on. But we'll know even if they don't do those things, you know, they're not going to bring them to minicamp after the draft in April and risk him getting hurt with 30, $34 million sitting on the paper, unless they're planning on bringing him back. So there'll be some public indicators through the winter and the spring here as to what they've decided. Uh, but at least in the scenario I laid out, we won't know officially until we get to June. Back with more from Joe Banner in a minute. First, a word from our sponsor, DraftKings. We're here, 2021 basketball, it's here. America's top-rated sportsbook app has rolled out another can't-miss offer regarding this basketball season. Get in all the action to celebrate the return. DraftKings Sportsbook is giving new players 100 to 1 odds on any featured matchup this week. That's right. All you have to do is bet $1 on any featured matchup this week. If your team wins, a crisp $100. So download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app. And use promo code ROSS, all caps, R-O-S-S, when you sign up to get 100 to 1 odds on any featured matchup this week. That's code ROSS 
for new players to get a shot at $100 on any featured matchup this week for a limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Now back to our conversation with Joe Banner. What did you think of the Hertz pick? I mean, you can make the argument from the financial sense. You got a cheap backup for a few years. Yeah. So I actually defended the pick at the time, but with a qualification. I didn't love Hertz on tape. Yeah. So I had a little reluctance on the player evaluation part, but I actually strategically defended it. I mean, you got a quarterback that's been hurt multiple times, basically ended run to potential Super Bowls or at least runs through the playoffs through those injuries. And you had drafted a guy that had a chance to play a role bigger than just being your backup. And if I said to somebody running a team, listen, if you pick this guy, he may not play much, but he also keeps you alive to at least compete for a Super Bowl if this other guy who gets hurt quite a bit got hurt. I wouldn't hesitate to use a second-round pick on that description. Now, I was worried that whether they used it on the right guy or not. But I thought the strategic thinking behind it, at least what we would assume is the strategic thinking behind it, was totally reasonable. And, you know, now that Hertz has turned out to be good and Wentz hasn't been playing well, now it looks more than like a reasonable, defendable pick. It looks like it could have been brilliant. Right. Yeah. Well, before we leave Wentz, the last thing is you just mentioned it. So multiple injuries, had injuries in college. Um, could that be a reason? I mean, could there be... Something going on we don't know about with him, like injury-related, confidence-related, we can all speculate, but the concussion at the end of last year, I mean, we're, we're all just speculating, right? Yeah, no, listen, I, I actually am a big believer in this uh, theory, not necessarily the concussion, but it, the plays that they're calling right now for Hertz are the same Ooh. or similar to plays that would work for Wentz. And we didn't see them for 12 weeks. And I think that's both because Wentz was trying to play more carefully to not get hurt. And the coaches were calling plays to protect him. And in that scenario, with a dramatically weakened offensive line in really questionable wide receiver talent, that all of a sudden a guy who is actually a good player looks absolutely awful. And this will be, by the way, the discussion that who's ever thinking of thinking about evaluating whether or not they want to acquire him will be having. Because if you don't think you can make something different than it currently is, you're not acquiring him because what currently is is nowhere near good enough to be even a starter in the league. So the smart team is sitting there going, what can we do that will allow us to reasonably and objectively project a different outcome than what was happening in Philly? If your answer to that question is, I can't really pinpoint something, then go on to the next thing. Don't acquire him. Yeah. If you really feel like you can look at a couple of things that you really think you can do better uh, or get him to do better, maybe he needs to spend some time with a sports psychologist. It's not an insult. Some of the best athletes in our lifetimes have spent time with sports psychologists. There's almost no Olympian you watch on TV that doesn't spend time with a sports psychologist. So, But you better feel like I can make something different because what I've seen recently isn't okay. And I do think and it may just be the psychology around it that affected the play calling and the way he was playing the game that could partially account for this. Yeah, I mean, that's a look into to the why of this. There's so many questions. Like you said, you've never seen it, Ronda Rousey, whatever, but never, you know? And I think he's a different cat, and I don't think it's bad. I mean, I remember the story on one of the Sunday Night Footballs or whatever. They said, hey, Carson, what would you think of the Doc Rivers hire for the Sixers? And the story was, he said, who, what, you know, I think he is that type of person. I don't think he really knows. Like he's, which is usually a good thing for something like this, but there does seem to be this undercurrent of, you know, entitlement's too strong a word. Like, but again, and now, now I'm talking to myself, if, if you're the number two pick in the draft, they trade everything for you. They give you all this money. Yeah. You're going to expect some things, right? I mean, we've dealt with that. <laughs> yeah. You know, remember, <clears throat> and 
I'm not trying to make a political statement. I'm sure somebody will hear it as a political statement, but it's common for starting quarterback to buy a gift for his offensive lineman at the end of the season. We've all heard, seen the stories. You know, after his rookie year, the gift that Wentz brought his teammates was were guns. Right. He's a he's a hunter. Hunter, yeah. Part of the lifestyle he grew up in. I'm not. That's why I said I'm not trying to make a political statement here. That's just who he is. Um, but he didn't think that that was, let's just say, unusual. <laughs> so he does think and look at the world from a little bit different perspective than what we're used to seeing from people in his kind of visible you know, star-like positions. I, I think that's a little indicative of maybe the kinder word is naive. Hmm. Um, there is a little something there that, you know, isn't what we're used to seeing in people in his kind of position with, with his kind of a role. You'd have special insight on this question. And this is the last Wentz question is, is he more successful in a different kind of market than Philly? Yes. Yes. Yeah. I mean, listen, he's, uh, and again, you've seen this, I've seen this different players are affected differently by the pressures of just period playing in the NFL, especially if you're a head coach or a quarterback and the amount of attention you get. Um, and listen, I worked in Philly. I was a brunt of some of the criticism and I still loved being there because the passion and the intensity of that made it fun. But if you're somebody that has a, more of a struggle handling that, that there's no doubt that can wear you down a bit or sap you of some of your energy. And, you know, from what I know of him a little bit directly and mostly through other people's eyes, I put him in that category. And I think being in a market where the stress is the games and the playing, as opposed to all these outside factors, I think would be helpful to him. Your, your best guess trade June post June. You know, I'm only going to say yes because of I think he sounds prepared to kind of really stir the pot to possibly get out of there. We don't know that, though, right? I mean, yeah, we don't. You're right. We don't know. But it's he will have to talk at some point soon. Yeah, there, I'm sure that Howie has already had a conversation with his agent and just said, listen, I mean, the team is highly motivated right now to lower the temperature. Let's you know, everybody's upset right now. We understand the emotions. We're not upset with him. Let's just get into January and then we're all going to sit down and have a conversation and look out, listen to each other very well and, and try to see what may be mutually beneficial for everybody. That, I, I suspect there's some version of that conversation going on. And, you know, we'll see if it's a situation that can be toned down or one that that kind of conversation sometimes, as, as you know, and I've witnessed, you're throwing wood on the fire, actually, unintentionally. Yeah, do that. You think if they, assuming they do not win the NFC East, you think Doug is safe? And if so, it's because of Hertz? So I've been saying for a while that uh, I've, I've said, first of all, I thought there's a chance that Howie wasn't there was zero. I still think that this is confirming that. Um, and I thought that Doug was more likely to stay than not, but there was at least a conversation that would take place about that. I do think the last couple of games make the likelihood of a change there even smaller. Uh, in fact, in my mind now, too very small, uh, but I don't think it's zero. So I think it's something to keep an eye on. In your mind, who wins the division? <laughs> and Washington can win it with a win over Carolina, but now their quarterbacks in a strip club with no mask. So <laughs> who knows? I like Philly's chances. I really, I don't know why, but I somehow I do. No, listen, I think they're they're going to win the last two games and then it's whether any of the other teams can step up and win their games. I mean, obviously one of them is against Washington, so that will create at least one loss for Washington. Um, I I think that the uh, the Eagles are almost 50-50, even though it looks like they're like a game and a half behind here. I think they're almost 50-50 to win the division. Yeah. They're playing the best, and it looks like right now they have the best quarterback. Yeah, and they've got two very winnable games. In the first game, Dallas – with a, with Hurts' strengths and weaknesses and their inability defensively and generally, especially against the run, I mean, I actually think the Eagles will win that game very in a very uh, impressive way. And then, you know, the other game with uh, Washington. And if Smith's playing that game, I think it's a tough game that could go either way. If Smith's out of that game, I think the Eagles win. 
other impressions as we go into the playoffs. Um, we're coming. We're recording this on Tuesday. The Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, they were trounced in Cincinnati last night, um, beaten by Washington three in a row, and, and we're lucky to beat the JV Ravens before that. What do you think's going on there? Well, that's hard to say. I mean, yeah. the, the you know the fact that the offense is not playing well is not completely shocking to me. The fact that the defense, I mean, the end of last year, we were talking about being a top defense that was so young, if they just dedicated the money to re-sign a couple of key players, could be, you know, a top three or five defense for years to come. And we're watching uh, Cincinnati go out and, you know, put up 20-some points on them with their third-string quarterback. So, you know, Ben's getting older. It isn't the most uh, creative scheme in the world. Two years ago when Mike Munchak left, I said people would realize at some point that was – one of the bigger, uh, most impactful coaching changes we've seen in a long time. I'm talking position coaches, obviously, when I say that. And he's already got the Denver offensive line playing better than that talent level should have ever played. And we've seen the Steelers offensive line with mostly the same people get worse. Uh, I think that cause and effect is very clear. But I can come up with explanations on the uh, offense. The defense, to me, is just mind-boggling. They've got the same players with the same coordinator who a year ago looked like they could be the next dominant defense for three to five years, and they're not even close. Hmm. Are you, you and I know Andy, you know him a lot better than I do. The, the Chiefs, they, they're playing well. They have the, the wow plays from Mahomes, but they're not blowing anyone out. Yep. What's going on there? Yeah, you know, rarely do teams just go straight across at a high level. So, my best guess is they're just going through a little bit of a rut. Um, and, you know, Andy's teams tend to get better as the year goes on. Uh, and we still get a couple of weeks and then, you know, we get a bye. It'll be deadly coming out of the bye. And realize they, they only need to win three win games to get to the Super Bowl. And two of the three he has two weeks to prepare for. I think the whole country knows his record when he has two weeks to prepare for a team. So in my mind, uh, I see exactly what he's saying, and I agree with the observation. I still think they're a prohibitive favorite to end up winning the Super Bowl. But you have to be a little less sure of that than we probably were after, like, week six. Um, and I'm just kind of assuming it's the normal ebbs and flows of a season, uh, and they're still finding a way to end up on top at the end, end of every game. So uh, a little perplexing and a little out of character with Andy's teams, uh, but I still think they're a clear preference and most likely team to be standing at the end now on the nfc side you know my former team the packers would seems to have that same thing you're talking about two games in frigid temperatures to get to the super bowl one of which i'll have two weeks for would you put them in the favorite role yeah i mean i i do that reluctantly because before the season i actually picked the chiefs against the saints and i thought the chiefs were going to saints are going to make me look smart but they're they're not as good a team on the road period and being in Green Bay makes that even harder. So at this point, if I got to repick, I'd probably put the Packers ahead of them, but I kind of feel stuck with my original prediction. Team that could surprise out of each conference? Yeah, so hard for me to answer that in the uh, NFC. <laughs> uh, you know, because I, yeah, I think it's a stretch. They just, they're just really not in sync. They're just not there. And I'm a huge Todd Bowles fan. He'll get that defense together, but and it could happen, but I, it's a little stretch for me. I've actually, and again, I picked this before the season, I said the team that could surprise people with at least a chance to get to the Super Bowl were the Colts. At that time, everybody was picking Tennessee to win the division, and, and many people had Houston in second place in the prediction mm -hmm. of the division. And uh, so I still think that they have the right. Rivers is playing better earlier in the year. That was the one thing kind of holding them back. Um, and, you know, their defense is, is good, but not playing quite as good as it was earlier. Um, but to me, if we're kind of taking a semi-sleeper that could possibly emerge, um, you know, that's the name I'd throw out there. Yeah. Excellent defense. Mm -hmm. Just seems to be. And Rivers, you know, people are already trading Carson Wentz to the, right. to the Colts and Rivers. Yeah. I mean, Rivers is, is a superior quarterback to Wentz even at, at his age right now. I don't see that changing dramatically. Yeah, and that's why when I used the Colts earlier, as I referenced, I was just using it because that's yeah. speculation and Frank Wright coached him at one point. 
Uh, I mean, early in the year, you could look at that signing and, geez, wonder, geez, should they have signed Brady or should they have done this or done that? But over the last half a dozen games, he is playing really, really well. And, you know, he's got an offensive line in front of him that gives him peace of mind. Uh, and they've got good weapons. They've got a couple of rookies that are emerging, the wide receiver Pittman and Taylor, the running back. So they're getting better as the year is going on. Uh, and, you know, I'm a big believer, as you know, that if you can win both lines of scrimmage, you have a real shot to beat anybody. And they're as good on both lines of scrimmage as anybody out there. The final questions about the, the business side that you and I focus on. We've talked about the potential player economics next year and the cap going down. Yeah, uh, you see media deals coming this off season, waiting. You know, I know we've got the first all streaming game this weekend on Amazon. That's going to be the future, I believe, at some level. Um, but it just seems like these media deals are going to be massive. We know that. Now it's just a question of when. Yeah, so for whatever reason, and probably turns out to be smart, you know, the ESPN deal ends before the others. And ESPN has recently signed a couple of early extensions uh, with some of their partners. Hmm. So I'm actually guessing that that happens relatively soon. It's a pure guess just based on the history of ESPN and some of the other deals we've seen them do recently. And that, frankly, will set the stage for the negotiations on the other deals. And remember, those deals aren't going down. They're going up. Right. So all of the streaming deals are really just new revenue. And you know, will really enhance the economics of the league dramatically, including the players. The players will get about 50% of the new revenue stream that will come from streaming. So this is a real big win for everybody. The owners obviously benefit. Streaming money will come with almost no increase in expenses. So whatever it is will almost go straight to the bottom lines, and that will be great for the owners. Uh, And half of the gross amount that the uh, streamers are paying will go into the cap, which obviously is great for the players. Which, by the way, some of the teams that have these cap problems, including our situation with the Eagles, I do think whatever the cap ends up being for next year, the 2022 number is likely to jump very dramatically because you're really going to be working off an increase from the 198 with two new years of revenue and new TV and streaming deals. So we may see even more teams borrow in 2021 from what they anticipate the 2022 Mm. cap to be than we're used to. Um, and maybe help, you know, keep that flow of veterans that get put out on the street in February, March. And we agree it will be more than usual, maybe less than it could have been otherwise. Because I think we're going to see one of the bigger jumps in the cap we've seen from 21 to 22, unless the union and the players agree to kind of spread that out a little bit, right. um, which they may do. And there's some reason that that benefits both sides. But if that doesn't happen, I think, the idea of borrowing, I mean, as we discussed earlier, I generally don't like to borrow from the future, but that increase from 21 to 22 may be so large that it would make some sense to borrow some of it. Yeah, because that's why I think they'll borrow on the macro level, assuming both sides agree to that, where you don't go from 198 to 180 or 185 even maybe, okay. and you borrow against the future increases. Um, you know, we'll see. Uh, last thing on officiating. <laughs> Seems like it's part of the story every week. Do you have any solutions? Uh, you know, why, how it could get better, why it takes so long, why we're still doing two sticks in a chain, all that stuff. Yeah, so I, I'm not even sure exactly who I'm criticizing when I say this. Um, and anybody who worked with me would tell you that I was so uh, impatient with people wasting their time blaming things or criticizing the officials. Not because I don't think they miss calls. I just think if they miss four calls against us, they probably miss four calls against them. And, you know, let's not find someplace else to place the blame. Let's look at this objective and figure out how to get better. But I really, really think over the last five or six years, the quality of the officiating has deteriorated. I mean, I'm hoping any reason? It's say any, that any reason why? Well, so this is what I was about to say, and I'm not even sure how I'm criticizing. The people both that we know and don't, I don't know what the chain of command in the league is, maybe you don't, of who's managing the officials on a day-to-day basis, who does that person report to. I think that whole thing needs to be reevaluated. How are we picking, you know, every year officials retire and officials are brought in. How are we picking those? How are we grading them? How are we teaching them? 
is this ridiculous point of emphasis thing we hear every year. Why would there be a point of emphasis? Just watch the game, hear the rules, call it. Right. Now you're throwing in all these other things and, you know, um, so I really, I really do think it's hurting the game at this point. It's affecting outcomes. And I really think, you know, from, from Roger's seat, he needs to look down at the team that's managing this and responsible for this and the way they're making decisions, who gets kept, who gets promoted, who gets to get the new jobs when people retire, how are we grading them weekly? You know, why are we creating points of emphasis? Is that actually possibly affecting their overall performance. You know, I'm a big believer in replay, but I believe it should be on the table. This is replay affecting it. I mean, everything that could be contributing to this, I think should be on the table and evaluated. And, and at the minimum, we got to stop heading in the wrong direction. Let's freeze it here because I think it continues to get worse. And I hope I'm objective when I say that. That's obviously just my eye. I'm not studying anything, but it's become very frustrating to see. Yeah, I agree. And a lack of consistency gets me too. I know you said four for you, four against you. It just didn't seem that way. And yeah. I don't know what to do about the the, the PI calls where, you know, you it's such a dramatic impact of a 40-yard pass, 50-yard pass. And some teams rightly take advantage of that, you know, big arm quarterbacks like Mahomes and Rodgers. But, you know, do you decide – let them play or do you decide you're, I guess I might come back to my point. What's the consistency there? Yeah, that's uh, my answer was going to be whatever the answer is. And we may have our preferences. They may be the same, may they be different. We got to get to consistency. Yeah. And I'm, I can't even tell you how tired I'm of hearing announcers say, well, if the offensive guy extends his arm like this, it's offensive pass interference. And how many times you see the offensive guy extend his arm and it's not the ball. Every play. Yeah. Right. So, uh, so either just stop saying that or stop writing the rule that way or call it that way. You know, we're in this no man's land where, I, you know, I don't know how the players know exactly what to do and not to do. I mean, how, how are we calling hits to the head on defenseless receivers? And, uh, you know, last night we watched Juju's sister get his head almost taken off before they then hit the ball and caused a fumble. But the guy that had clearly lowered his head to hit somebody initially in the head, he actually hit him twice, but the first context was in the head, that's not a penalty. That changed the tone, at least, of that complete yeah. game. I, you know, how how can, you know, some guy on a running play and the defender, you know, gets down low, he's not really trying to hit head-to-head, -head, but that's what happens, and we understand it's his responsibility. But if you're going to call that even occasionally, then you can't watch that play we saw in that Pittsburgh game and go, oh, no, nothing here. Let's just figure out who recovered the fumble. No, that's not, that's just not good. Yeah. Joe, it's been great. My listeners want to know last time you're on, are you still, I'll let you answer, are you still involved in any league business, consulting, teams, leagues, stadiums, any of that stuff? Yeah, I am doing a, still a moderate amount of consulting and um, uh, both on the uh, team and, and actually agent side and uh, have been officially helping teams uh, in their coaching searches for a number of years now um, have been loosely consulting so far this year, but not one specific team, uh, which may or may not change, but uh, yeah, in a variety of much lesser ways and totally behind the scenes, uh, which at this point in my life is, is the way I like to keep it. Ditto on that, baby. <laughs> you and me both. You can actually go to bed at night and wake up. It's the next morning instead of, every 45 minutes with some something that's stressing you out or you're worrying about it's it's a whole different life <laughs> yeah and for people who don't know joe was uh one of my first hires <laughs> he taught for me the villanova program the Morad center for sports law uh, and i lost him to the sunshine of florida but uh, i'll have you have you in class soon via zoom which is the way of the world education wise now anyway it's unbelievable. Well, it's better than if we didn't have it, but not as good as where we were. Great conversation always with my friend and uh, longtime Eagles president, Browns president, Joe Banner. Thanks for listening to this week's edition of the Business of Sports. You can follow me on Twitter as always at Andrew Brandt. Thanks to my producer extraordinaire, Brian Neal, my musical producer, Sam Brandt, you hear below me. And all Apple podcasts and rankings are always appreciated. We'll be back next week with another edition of the Business of Sports with Andrew Brown.
Angie's List is now Angie, your home for everything home. Angie still has the same top pros and reviews you've counted on for more than 20 years. Only now, you'll also get access to all the tools you need to make your home a happy place. Inside, outside, big or small, Angie helps you find the right solution for whatever you need done, all from your phone. It's simple to find upfront pricing and instantly book hundreds of projects. You can even search pricing guides to see what others paid for similar jobs and easily compare quotes from top local pros to make sure you're getting a fair price. From lawn care to repairing the AC to the project of your dreams, Angie has your home projects handled from start to finish. Plus, when you book and pay through Angie, they'll cover your project up to the full purchase price plus limited damage protection with their happiness guarantee. Make your home an Angie home. Check out Angie.com today. And for more on the happiness guarantee, go to Angie.com forward slash happiness hyphen guarantee dot htm. You promise your child they can grow up to become who they want to be. We know college is expensive. But YouPromise.com lets you save extra money for your child's future by doing the everyday things you already do. Save for college when shopping online or even on your weekly grocery store runs. Link any college savings plan with a free YouPromise account for worry-free college savings deposited each month. Sign up today at YouPromise.com for a $30 welcome bonus. Start now at YouPromise.com.